want to first begin by explaining to you what the theology is of a three-year-old. Uh, at Easter, I was at my brother-in-law's place, and uh, prior to us eating dinner, I was asked to pray. And before I pray, sometimes I like to take just 30 seconds to explain why I'm praying the way I am praying. And as I was doing that, uh, the room was quiet. I had everybody's attention. And then my three-year-old granddaughter pops in. says, Grandpa, what are you talking about? And I quickly regained my composure, realizing that my thunder had just been stolen. And I said, I'm talking about Jesus. And she says, well, well Jesus kicks butt. Her father was standing next to me and said, she got that from her mother. <laughs> so, that's pretty powerful. That's the that's theology of a three-year-old. Recently, wait a minute. Father, I, I just, uh, I want to thank you for your presence. Jesus, I thank you for being here. You are so good. Thank you, Jesus, that you walk with us, that you talk to us, and that you talk through us. Jesus, uh, you're awesome. And Lord, I pray today that we'd have a greater reality of how awesome you are, Jesus. May you be seen today. And uh, thank you for being here. It's great to have you here, Jesus. Recently, um, on a particular day, I felt a heaviness. And I thought to myself, I'm not going through any thing that I thought was stressful. I didn't think I had anything that was really difficult in my life at that particular time. But it dawned on me <clears throat> that I really didn't have a handle on joy. And so I thought about the Apostle Paul, who, aside from Jesus, has authority when he talks about joy because he talked about rejoicing in the Lord while he was in prison. And prisons back then were a whole lot more unlivable than they are now. And so there's, this is something that I felt I needed to tackle for myself. So hopefully I've gotten something that I can convey to you today. The definition of joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Re to rejoice in means to have or possess. So what joy does the Bible emphasize? I'm going to read several scriptures that speak of joy. In Hebrews 12:2, it says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You and I will carry our crosses also. And when we are doing that, we need to look beyond as Jesus did. And I'm only speculating what joy he was looking at, but I can assume that one of the things that he was looking at is completing the Father's will. As he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. And, you know, what's important is how we finish the race. Paul said, I fought the good fight, I've kept the faith, 
I've finished the course. And for you and I to come before the judgment seat of Christ, there'll be things that I know I'll regret. But what I want him to say is, Steve, you, through my spirit and word, accomplished the reason and the purpose you were created. That would bring joy to my heart. The other thing I think Jesus was looking forward to is actually being reunited with his Father in heaven. There was a time where it was pretty bad for him because he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? And I believe that was the time when all your sin and my sin came upon him and separated him from the Father. And of course, the other thing he was probably looking forward to is having brothers and sisters in heaven with him to all those who believe and receive him. Psalm 45, 7 says this about Jesus. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God thy God has anointed thee with the oil of joy above thy fellows. Jesus has a joy that's beyond man's joy. It's a joy, interestingly enough, that it flows like oil. That means he's not keeping it for himself. In Isaiah 61, it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. It goes on, then it says, He has given us the oil of joy instead of mourning. The Message Bible says that he's given us messages of joy instead of news of doom. By the Spirit of God, we are given the oil of joy, the messages of joy. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit who is in you and who is in me. And some of the things that we can be joyful for is the forgiveness of sins, promise of eternal life, and the fact that we are children of God, but he has elevated us to be a royal priesthood. You are a peculiar people, and I mean that sincerely. <clears throat> what is Jesus' will for you and me concerning joy? In 15, of ch uh, chapter 15 of John, it says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy would be made full. He not only wants you and me to have joy, but he wants a full joy. The Message Bible says that your joy would be holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, mature. That your joy would be holy, fully mature. That suggests to me that joy and knowing and, and understanding and receiving the joy of the Lord is a process. Mature Christians ought to have it. And I believe that there are several prerequisites to having this type of joy. I believe that one of the first ones is peace. If you and I don't have peace, how can you really have joy? Paul, in Philippians, says this, Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. No, he says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. How often we try to 
use our own energy to deal with conflicts, afflictions, disagreements, problems in our life. I've been around the block enough to know that I do it a lot. And, and, and most human beings do. That's been my observation. But the Lord is near. Jesus is right here. He wants to be involved in our problems. He wants to be in every detail of our life. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Now, how many of you have had your conversation with Jesus Christ this morning over a cup of coffee? Now, we're really good at religious, pious prayers. You've been in church long enough, you're really good at it. But I believe that what Jesus wants us to be doing is conversing with him as any person. He is a personable God. And I believe a key to praying unceasingly is, unceasingly is really this. It's just having normal conversations with Jesus Christ. Now, I know that there are times that I need to be on my knee and sometimes my face. But God's a very personable God. And he wants us to relate to him as he's relating to us on a personal level. So have you had your conversation with Jesus Christ today over a cup of coffee? I like having conversations with him when I'm having popcorn. When we have a sense of his being right here, his nearness, I believe that affects our behavior in terms of how we respond to the afflictions and, com uh, and conflicts in life. And the peace of God will surpass all comprehension. It'll guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. If the, if the enemy can steal your peace, he's taken a valuable weapon away. It doesn't say that the God of peace will be crushed under Jesus' feet. It says your feet. And concerning conversations... Todd Burple, the author of Is Heaven for Real, if you haven't read that book, I really recommend you do that. <clears throat> when his son, who was four years old, was having surgery, went to heaven, and as time passed on, he conveyed a number of things to his mom and dad. But one of the questions that his father had for him was, why did you come back? And he said, well, Jesus said I had to come back because you were praying. And this really had an impact on him because it was not a pious prayer. He was angry. His, this four-year-old's boy, uh, this four-year-old's dad was angry. He was burning angry with God for what had happened to his son, what had happened to him physically. He'd been dealing with a number of physical, physical things. And what really hit him is Jesus still heard him. It was not a pious religious prayer. God already knows what's on your heart, my heart. Speak it out. Be real. Finally, brethren, I've got another example here. Corey Tenboom, who survived the Nazi concentration camp, and her family didn't. As an older lady, was so sensitive and in conversation with the Father, that she could be in a group of people having coffee or whatever, and all of a sudden she would stop and say, Father, what is that that you... Okay, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I'll tell them. 
Her ear was so sensitive to the conversation of the father to her that she could stop at any time and hear what he was saying and then convey, if it was his will, what he was saying to the people around her. That can be our conversation style as well. It's just not Corey Timboon's. It can be your style and my style. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence in anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. I can think of individual things where some of these characteristics apply but I can only think of one person where all these attributes apply, and that's Jesus Christ. I believe what the Apostle Paul was saying here is, let your mind dwell on Jesus right here. Right here. What was it? Brother Lawrence, the monk in the 1700s, 1600s, he practiced the presence of God. He was a cook. And sometimes that kitchen was pretty noisy, but he always practiced the presence of God. That's my heart's desire for you and me that we have that conversational style with Jesus Christ no matter where we are or what situation we are in. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Practice these things. None of us are perfect, so Paul says, practice these things. And the God of peace shall be with you. You know what you and I are really good at doing? We practice worry. We practice fear. We practice doubt. We practice grudges. We practice unforgiveness. That's our flesh. And because we have the Holy Spirit in us, we can practice the Word of God. We can practice the presence of Jesus Christ. And the Message Bible in Matthew 11, it says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Come away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. You know, quite frankly, again, you and I aren't the people who we're supposed to be because we're inhibited by a number of different things. Our eyes are typically focused on something other than Jesus Christ. He wants us to walk in his grace. He wants us to acknowledge his presence every moment of our life. Now again, the word is practice. None of us have arrived. To learn to live freely and lightly You cannot and I cannot be with the God of peace and not become a woman or a man of peace. Who you hang around with will influence you. And if you hang around with the God of peace, work with him, watch watch what he's doing, walk with him, you will become a person of peace. Peace is necessary for joy. The other ingredient is abiding. Jesus says this in chapter 15 of John, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. 
Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. How do you abide in his love? You keep his commandments. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy would be made full. We need to be abiding in his love. Now, it's easy for me to abide in his love when I'm with my friends. They agree with me most of the time. If they don't agree with me, they don't get angry with me. If I am anybody's enemy today, guess what? You need to love me. That's where the rubber hits the road. That's what makes us different from the world. If we're truly his disciples, we'll be known for our love for one another. Not only when we agree with one another, but when we're in conflict and when we disagree. Abiding in his love is necessary for his joy to be manifested. The other ingredient besides peace and abiding in his love is prayer. Jesus says this in John 16, Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Asking you will receive that your joy may be made full. The Message Bible says this, This is what I want you to do. Ask the Father for whatever is in keeping with the things I've revealed. In keeping with the things I've revealed to you. Ask in my name according to my will, and he'll most certainly give it to you. Your joy will be a river overflowing its banks. The person who has received this scripture and understands it and does it and believes it is the person who is certain that God will reveal his will. Who is it that we serve? We serve a loving God who chose us. It is the will of the Father to reveal his will to you and me. We need to be certain that God will reveal his will to you and me. This is kind of a dramatic example, but I think it'll get the point across. Several weeks ago, I had a dream about my son, and I typically, I don't remember really dreaming about my kids. But this was very vivid, and what I saw was my son walking, and he was struggling. He was struggling, and I could see in his face that he was not doing well. But I also sensed and perceived a presence that was guiding him. And so I always prayed for my children, and that week I particularly prayed for my son. And that week, him and his wife went to Hawaii to visit a friend who was in the armed forces. And uh, it, was not, it was not a good week for him. <clears throat> Towards the end of the week, I was talking to him, and he was telling me about him and his friend snorkeling in the ocean in Hawaii. And they were following a sea turtle. And this has happened to me. I, I, I've been snorkeling out there. You're so 
captured by the beauty of what you're seeing that you forget where you're at. And I came up once, and there was no one else around me. I was out there, and that freaked me out. And what happened to him and his friend is the same thing. They were way out there, and um, my son became disoriented. And his friend swam back to shore, but my son, because he's disoriented, went further out in the ocean. And then he lost his fin, and it, he's, he's an average swimmer, so he was, he was struggling. And then he was being thrown against the rocks out there, and he was getting slashed up. And he started calling out. He said, all of a sudden, there was a lifeguard there. And I said, where did he come from? He says, I don't know. He said, the lifeguard went and got his fin and then brought him back to shore. And he says, I never saw him again. He said, he said uh, his wife, my, my, my daughter-in-law, went to the lifeguard station. You know, something like that, that's an incident. You've got to write that down. Uh, she went there to get first aid uh, band-aids, whatever, for my son. And she thanked the lifeguards for saving him. And they looked at each other and looked at her and we said, we don't know what you're talking about. See, now you can intellectualize that, intellectualize that any way you want, but for me, I had that dream. I saw a presence guiding him when he was struggling. I know that was God and I, I know it was an angel. When I was talking to my son about the first thing came out of his mouth, he said, Dad, that was an angel. My, my point in saying that is this. God revealed something to me. And for whatever reason, God has chosen to co-labor with us through prayer. And I prayed because God revealed something to me. And God responded. He says that your prayers would be answered. God will always answer what he reveals. And then you'll have fullness of joy. Do you think I'm thankful? Do you think I have joy in my heart? Absolutely. When we pray what God reveals, he will confirm it. He will answer it. The purpose of abiding in his love and prayer is to know, is to know the God of joy. The Message Bible, Matthew 6, says this, steep your life in God reality. Jesus, I want to thank you for being here today. I know you're here. I want to thank you for creating each of us. What were you thinking when you made the universe? Me? That's awesome. You ask him the same question, he would tell you the same thing. We are so special in God's eyes that the reason he created the universe was because of you and me. You can have those conversations with him. Steve, you're crazy. Well, who are you? You tell me what normal is. <laughs> Steep your life in God reality, God initiative. Each day there's an initiative that God has given you. God provisions. We are so focused on getting something, either from God or the world, that we miss out on what he's trying to give to us. We're so focused on our worries, our pain. We forget to ask God to help us fulfill his purposes for the day. Do you think his purposes have us in mind? Is it really true? Seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness and all these other things will be added on. 
Is it true? It is true. But when I'm in pain, what do I want? I want that pain removed, and I understand that. But we've got to get beyond that. God has a purpose for you today. And we need to ask him to reveal what his will is today and pray that. Joy comes from knowing God and obeying him. In Nehemiah, it talks about the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I believe this is really the joy that the Bible is talking about. This joy comes from an active relationship with Jesus. It comes from knowing him and his character and believing in his promises now and the future. Oswald Chambers says, we believe in Jesus Christ but quite frankly, in times of trial, we question his character. Is he really faithful? Does he really care about me? Do his loving kindnesses ever cease or his compassions? Don't they sometimes fail? We don't necessarily verbalize it, but the way we respond to our affliction or conflict suggests otherwise. His joy is given to us in the relationship with Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And you and I cannot be with a strong God and not be strong ourselves. A person who knows the joy of the Lord is a strong person, strong in a calm, restful manner. We love because he first loved us. See, love begets love. Even in conflict, it does. Even when you have enemies, when you love, something happens. You may not see it in, this, in, the, in the practical realm, but in the spiritual realm, something, something's happening. By the same token, fear begets fear. Hate begets hate. There's a high degree of relationship between the joy of the Lord and a strong spiritual life. C.H. Spurgeon was one of the greatest evangelist, revivalist speakers of the late 1800s. And he says this in one of his sermons. He says, you shallow Christians, you do but believe in Christ and barely that, whose Bibles are unread, whose closets are unfrequented. He's talking about your prayer closets. Jesus said that when you pray, Go into your room, close the door, pray in secret, and your father who sees in secret will repay you openly. Your Bibles are unread, you don't pray. Whose communion with God, that's the fellowship, that's the conversational prayer with Jesus Christ. Whose communion with God is a thing of spasms. Let's be honest. In terms of us seeking his face, and in a sense, getting in the face of Jesus Christ happens when we're in crisis. The intensity goes up during that time, and then it goes down below a line. Up and down, up and down. We have spastic behavior. Whose communion with God is a thing of spasms, you have not the joy of the Lord, neither are you strong. There's a high correlation between one's walk with Jesus Christ and how we respond in conflict and affliction. 
James 1 says this, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Sometimes joy has to be taken by faith, if not all the time. My wife, when she had her two brain surgeries, removal of a brain tumor, and clipping of the main artery in her brain where only three surgeons in the world would even attempt doing that. During that time period and the 20 years after when she continued to have the extreme vertigo, dizzy spells, I never saw her complain once. I'm sure she had her feelings, but I didn't see her complain. I saw peace and I saw joy. And I remember her brother saying this, I'm impressed with your faith in God. Ted Landmark dealt with cancer for 10 years, and I, he's human. I know he had his feelings of anger or anguish or whatever, but what I always saw in Ted was this strong, calm, peaceful rest. See, I'm not necessarily that impressed with exuberant people, because that can be part of their personality, and believers and non-believers alike can be that way. What is a witness to Jesus Christ is this strong, calm, peaceful, restful person in the midst of conflict and turmoil. When I came to know the Lord, it's because my marriage was disintegrating. And I came through what they call the Word of Faith ministry at that particular time, and I needed that. The focus was on faith. And um, I learned very quickly that when you are in a relationship that is disintegrating, you've got to be a strong person. You cannot grovel to the other person. Well, do you think there's any chance that our marriage will be healed? You can't go by what you think the other person's thinking. You can't go by your feelings. Sometimes you have to act as, as if it is, even though it's not. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You see, when you act as if it is, even though it's not, you act a certain way. The Lord had, down, had downloaded a lot of of his word in me. He was grounded me in his word. And I learned that I needed to trust in him and not lean onto my own understanding. I had to act as if my marriage was great, even though it wasn't, because it, it portrayed a positive picture. Was I hurting inside? Absolutely. But I had to act as if it is, even though it wasn't. So sometimes you have to take joy by faith. And I've been guilty of this, but, you know, if you have the Lord in you, you can't be a person who, when somebody asks you how you're doing, you can be real with them, but you can't always be negative. I mean, we, we've got a great reason to be joyful, to have hope. But sometimes we can get in such a rut, and people continue to ask, how you doing? Well, I'm not doing very well. I don't, I don't, think, I, I don't think the government's given me enough. Next week, well, how are you doing? Well, my wife is, you know, boy, she's irritating. Man, I want what you got. (laughs) 
you know, I complain. I'm guilty of it. But, you know, for some people, if you take complaining away from them, they wouldn't have any ministry at all. What's your ministry? Well, I complain. Wow. What's the fruit of that from? Well, I don't know. But it does have a purpose. Steve, it's to help build character in you and others. God does place irritating people around us. Take a, take a look around. Just kidding. <laughs> and I, I believe he does that for a couple of reasons. Number one, to show you and me how irritating we are to him. Yeah, he loves us, but we're not always that lovable. And the other reason I believe he does it is to help build character in us. See, I think some of the best marriages are when both spouses irritate one another. And if they not only have Jesus as their Savior, but their Lord, I emphasize Lord, then they, they can become more like Jesus Christ. Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. It isn't the people who always agree with me that really changed my behavior It's those people who irritate me. And then the question is, is, do I respond like the devil or do I respond like Jesus Christ? So for those couples who came to church this morning with irritation because your spouse did something to you, say, thank you, Jesus. You're conforming me to your image. Did I get somebody? You know, I am guilty of judging people. And when I judge people, do you know what I do? I put myself in the judgment seat of Christ. And I grieve the Holy Spirit. The Bible is very clear about grieving the Holy Spirit. And it has nothing to do with my judgment as to where other people are at. It has to do with where I'm at. No one can take me out of the the hand of God or the will of God except myself. The the Bible is a personal word to you and me. When I judge people, I'm grieving the Holy Spirit. And if I'm grieving the Holy Spirit, how can I have the joy of the Lord? It's the antithesis of that. It's the opposite of that. And our flesh tends to do that, especially in conflict and disagreement. Again, the love of Jesus Christ is manifested not when things are going smooth, but when we have disagreements. True unity has to do with the heart and our attitude when we are in affliction or conflict. That's where the unity is. I will love my brother even though he or she thinks I am his or her enemy. Or I think that they are opposing me, I will still love them. And I'm not going to be placing myself in the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. That's a fearful place to be. There's only one person that's supposed to be there, and that's Jesus Christ. We need to have the concept 
that the judgment seat is always before us because there's things that I say and do that I would never do if I really was actually before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. But God wants us to deal with that right now by picturing ourselves being before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ and stop grieving the Holy Spirit. If we do that, we're not going to have the joy of the Lord, which is a testimony of who Jesus Christ is. My friend Doug, Doug has had an impact in my life, but just recently he had a greater impact in my life. I've never heard a person say after he had a heart attack that it was a good heart attack. And I, I talked to Doug just the other day, made sure I had it right. See, God, Doug understood the, the, the vertical relationship between him and God, the love of God for him, but he's never totally comprehended it when God loves through other people. When Doug was in the ambulance, the EMTs were uh, treating him when he was in the hospital. The nurses were working with him. The physicians and whoever else was involved in his life at that time, he saw the love of God coming through those people to him. And in James it says, every good thing bestowed, every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. This morning, when you greeted somebody with a smile, it's the love of God coming through you. When somebody treats you to a cup of coffee, that's the love of God coming through that person to you. When you get up in the morning and you hear the birds singing, that's from the Lord. That's his love coming to you. When I look at the lawn after it's mowed, that's the love of God coming to me. See, the best things in life really are free. The best things in life really are free. And we can have a hundred good things happen to us in a day. And really, if you took our time to, to think about it, that's probably how many things are occurring that are good to us. We can have that one negative thing happen, and what do we focus on? That one negative thing. But God is constantly showing his love to us through things and other people. He's showing that he's with us all the time. Colton Burple, that's the four-year-old that went to heaven when he was on the operating table. Uh, he had a tendency to, um, to run out into the street when mom and dad would come out of a store. And after he had this experience of being in heaven, he did that again, and his dad caught up to him out in the street, and there was a dead animal in the street. His dad got down on his knees, and he said, Son, if you don't wait for mom and dad, you could end up like that dead animal. A car could hit you. And he said, Good, then I'll be in heaven. You see, once you've really been in the presence of God and experienced the joys of heaven, you're not going to be fearful of death. There's, you're going to be changed. God wants us to have a mature joy. It's, it's available for all of us that gives us the strength, gives us the peace and the calmness in adversity. That will be a witness to the world. What people are looking for is joy, peace, and love. Most of all, most of all, we need to remember the wounded 
victor. Have you ever heard of that? The wounded victor. I was reading C.S. Lewis, the book, The Problem of Pain. And he opened my eyes to something. You see, when I confess my sins and repent, they are gone from me. But they're not gone from eternity. When Jesus came out of the tomb, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our inequities. He had holes in his hands. Doubting Thomas. I'm not going to believe unless I can put my hands in his nail prints and put my hand in his side. Jesus was different bodily after the resurrection than he was before the crucifixion. Think about that. He came down from heaven to a fallen world to go through what he did for you and me. We don't comprehend it very well. I tell you the people who comprehend it, the people, and I've been there, and you have too, when you're in the pit, and when you are desperate, and you want a Savior, and you want a Lord, you need somebody to help you. It's just like last week when Teen Challenge was here, the, the testimonies, I remember the testimony of the one woman whose uh, husband was divorcing her. He was into pornography. He was a physician. Uh, he's just come out of prison. And she said this. She says, I have sensed the power of the Holy Spirit here. It's talking about here. Here. When you are desperate and you're not judging people, you're going to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and the joy of the Lord. We need to be desperate all the time. It says, the poor in spirit, that's, the, that's who gets the kingdom of God. The poor in spirit. And without Jesus Christ, you and I are very, very poor. But Jesus is the wounded victor. 